Lord has spoken. Understand Asa Shaman. what is uh, God wants you to soar. There's a world out there that's causing people to lose out on so much. There might be people in your life or situations that have drugged you down from where God wants you to be. But the words that we're looking at today are for you. And I got to tell you, there's almost this holy discontent in me for anybody who looks at the Bible and thinks, oh, that's a nice promise, but it's not for me. These aren't words. It's not a motivational speech. This is a promise from a God who not only loves you, but can enact this in your life. And I want you to know it. I want you to grab it, and I don't want you to miss it. And that wonderful, amazing promise at the end of Isaiah chapter 40 is something that's for you, and I want you to live. To understand it and to enact it in your life, you need to understand what precedes it in Isaiah 40. So we're going to look at pretty much the whole chapter. And I want to have you, as we look at this chapter, grab hold of three truths that you've got to lock in your mind, take down to your heart, that brings out the promise in a way that's incredible. So let's look at it together. The first truth is this. It's the proclamation that God wants to comfort you. The proclamation that God wants to comfort you. You've got to realize this is for you. And look what it says in verses one and two. Comfort, oh, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received from the Lord's hand double from all her sins. Now, when you understand this chapter correctly, you need to understand the primary focus is for the city of Jerusalem. Did you see that right there? Speak kindly to Jerusalem. Now, real quickly, you might say, okay, then why would I take that for me? And here's why. Because what happened is God had promised Abraham, when we study this story, you'll see this better, that he would be the father of a multitude based on faith and on lineage. So all of the promises given to the Jewish people in the city of Jerusalem, also for anybody else who will come to be a child of Abraham by faith, by believing in God through Jesus Christ. But, but notice the primary focus is Jerusalem. And here's what's so interesting about that. God loves the city of Jerusalem. Matter of fact, are you ready? The angels, the angels love the city of Jerusalem. In Zechariah chapter 1, Zechariah meets an angel. And the angel escorts him to a grove of trees. In the midst of the grove of trees are four archangels, who will, by the way, later on appear in the book of Revelation. And, and he begins to talk and interact with them. And then he begins to listen to something. It's the prayer of the archangel. And listen to what happens in verse 12. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no compassion for Jerusalem and the cities of Judah with which you have been indignant these 70 years? And the Lord answered the angel who was speaking with me with gracious and comforting words. When an archangel prays, He intercedes for the city of Jerusalem. He cares that much about it. 
Now, again, you might say, okay, what does this mean to you? I think it becomes very incredible. Grab hold of this. An angel intercedes for Jerusalem. Jesus, the Bible says, intercedes for you. Now, grab that. The Bible says that just as it's an incredible thing, that an angel would pray a prayer that God would answer for the city of Jerusalem. The Bible teaches later on that Jesus himself is always making intercession for you. And not only is Jesus, the Holy Spirit is, with sighs and groanings too deep for words. I want you to know that the promise is for you, that God calls out a desire to comfort you, a desire to love you, a desire to care about you. He wants this promise for your life, and here's why, because you matter to him, and he couldn't love you more than he does, and he longs to give this to you. See, when you and I have the correct view of God, the one that's taught in the Bible, the one that God wants you to know, it's this, he is the God who wants to be your dad. He longs to be gracious. He longs to love you. He longs to be your dad. He longs to be close to you and intimate with you. Um, One of the great blessings of my life is my granddaughter, Eleni. Now, I love all my grandchildren. uh, But I got to tell you, Eleni is a very interesting and unique grandchild of mine. And here's why. Uh, We have another one on the way. But right now, the four, I have two twins who are five. And I have Liam, who is three, and Eleni, who is two. In two. Do you already know where we're going? And uh, so here's what happens. Whenever I walk in the room with the, my two twins or with Liam, I am the hit. I am the center focus. If Pam and I walk in together, first words you're going to hear, Papa, and they're going to run for me. And they dive in my arms and I hug them and I carry them around and play with them. And, and that's it. You know, it's Papa, Papa, Papa. Not true with Eleni. When we walk in the room, Eleni screams, Grammy, and she'll dodge to get around me to get to Pam. And then, here's what she does. This girl's strong-willed. So she'll come in, and I'll look at her, and I love her to death, and I'll say, can Papa have a hug? No. (laughs) Can Papa have a kiss? No. And the other day, I'm getting ready to say goodbye, and she looks me in the eye, folds her arm, and goes, no kiss. (laughs) She's a tough one. And she's always been that way with me. And, man, and I, she's got me wrapped around her finger, okay. The other thing about Eleni, she thinks that she is literally the commander of the world. The other day I had her in the offices, she just walked person to person telling them what to do. She just does that. She is a strong-willed little girl. Uh, we were at Disneyland the other day, and Pam and I and Eleni and Liam were in the, the lobby of the, Grand, the Disney Grand California Hotel, and I needed to slip away, and so I was gone for a second, and Pam's talking with Eleni, and a song began to be played on the piano Eleni wanted to hear, and you know what she did? She held up her hand, and she goes, shh, Grammy, shh, quiet, and held up her hand like that. By the way, she did it the whole time. Look, here's a picture of it. She's literally <laughs> demanding that Pam listen to her. So it's a few weeks ago, and we're at Wood Ranch Barbecue, and Pam's not with us, and Eleni's playing behind the table, and Tim and Jill and Liam and I and Eleni are having a blast, and all of a sudden she spins, loses her footing, and bam, her head hits the table. She comes up at first stunned, and then it hurts, and she begins to cry. Big old crocodile tears coming. Jill grabs her to comfort her, and then all of a sudden, in the midst of it, crying and crying, she looks up at me, and she goes, Papa, Papa and reaches out for me. So Jill reaches and hands her over, and I get her in my arms for the first time ever I get to experience this in the two years of her life. And she puts her arms around my neck, and she puts her head on my shoulder, and she cries and cries and keeps saying, Papa, Papa, Papa. And while I'm not glad she got hurt, I loved every second of it. I loved every second of it. 
You know why? I have longed to have that with her. I have longed to be that close to her. Now, the good news is since then, it's happened again because I tripped her. But, um, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Jill, if you're here, I did it. Um, but, uh, but you know what? Is, is, is I've longed for that. Now, now, you catch where I'm going. I really, really mean this. God thinks that way of you. Remember, Dale just read the passage, Isaiah 30, verse 18. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And therefore, he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is the God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him. You and I become blessed when we long for him. But guess what? He longed for you first. He cared for you first. He wants to pour blessing into your life. And that's the first thing you got to grab hold of. There's a proclamation of God that says, let me comfort you. Let me love you. Let me bless you. That I'm a rewarder of all those who will seek me. And, and God wants you to know that. He wants to have that for you. So it begins with the proclamation. The second thing it goes is a preparation. And I want to make sure we understand the passage in this that we're about to look at. And it's a preparation that you and I, we need to be holy and be ready to meet a holy God. Now, how does that happen? Well, you'll understand in a moment. But we got to understand we have to prepare for the blessing to come. And in verse 3, it says this. A voice calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert the highway of our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And let every rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then, catch verse 5, then, once all that happens, then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, now, here's where it's going to. Back in the days of Jesus and back prior to that, all the way back to Moses and everybody, is remember, they didn't have paved roads. And whenever an important official would come to a town, they would send word ahead of time he was coming. And the people would go out and prepare the highway, prepare the road for him to come in. Because they were dirt roads, they would very often have rocks in them and they would clear out the rocks. Because uh, of this weather and stuff, one of the area of the road might rise up and one might fall down the hill in the valley. It'd be made smooth and level. There might be areas because of erosion that were rugged and have potholes and they would fill those in. Here's why. When someone important came to be with you, you would prepare the way for them to come in. You would make their way smooth. You'd make their road uh, clear and, and, and not uneven. And God said, this is the thing. I'm about to come to you. I'm about to come and bring life to you and love to you and care to you. What should you do? You need to prepare. Whenever anybody special is coming to my house, I know Pam and I prepare. Do you do that? If you have someone coming over, man, you clean the house and you get ready for them and you want to make sure it's perfect. I'd say the vast majority of us do that. I heard about a woman that did that. Her husband came home and said, honey, I got good news for you. I've invited over the CEO of our company and his wife and the vice president and his wife. We're just going to have dinner together at our house. And she's like, what? She freaked out. She goes, we've got to be ready for them. He goes, oh, no, it'll be fine. She goes, you don't get it. And so she wanted the house to be perfect. And here's the thing. Who for? For the wives. Right? Isn't that right? She cared what the other wives thought. So she wanted to make a perfect meal and not ruin it. She wanted her house clean. She paid a house cleaner to come in and clean the house. And then she's setting the table and she wants it perfect. She has a gorgeous centerpiece on it. And then she pulls out something that her little five-year-old daughter had never seen before. Literally had never seen the china. They were like many of us, a paper plate family. And so she's got the china coming out and the little girl's like, 
what is that? And the mom says, honey, we're having very special guests over, so we need to be to have this be a very special meal. So we're using the special dishes and the special silverware so they can know that we really think this much of them. And the little girl's going, can I help? And she says, oh, sure, you can help. So she's kind of showing her how to set up the place settings in a more of a correct way. And, and the little girl goes, mom, I have an idea. Can I help more? And she goes, yeah. And the little girl darts out, and, and she doesn't know where she went. And then before she can figure out what her, she's doing, there's a knock at the door. That They're early. So her and her husband open the door. They're laughing. They're talking. It's going to be a great night. And they walk in and say, oh, your house is so lovely and pretty, you know, so she's feeling really good. And then they go to where the dining room table is, and at first they gasp. And then they start laughing. Because at each place setting, at each plate, there's a Kotex napkin laid next to it. And the little girl standing there saying, Mommy, you said they were special, so I got the special napkins you told me about. <laughs> the special napkins, getting it on. So when someone special comes over, you want to do something for them, right? Now, here's the thing. When God comes into your, when you are about to meet God, then you need to understand he's holy and you need to be holy. And you might say, so what do I do? Do I, do I stop doing this and start doing that? And the answer is maybe, but there's something more important. Are you ready? You open your heart to Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can prepare you. You open it up to his love. You open up the fact that he died on the cross and the power of his blood to cleanse you completely and to take your sins and remove them as far as the east is from the west. So when God comes to you, he doesn't see any of the wrong in your life, any of the failure in the life, any of the shame in your life, because the power of Jesus Christ is what cleans you up and cleanses you and frees you and makes you holy. The Bible says the minute you and I open our hearts to him, he sanctifies us. He makes us special and set apart. The only way we can prepare for the promise of God is to open up to Jesus Christ by believing in him, by repenting from anything in our life we need to repent from, and by being baptized into Christ. Now, by the way, that's what the Bible teaches. Those three things prepare us for the, the work of God to happen in our life. Uh, and so what do we do? We believe in him. We have faith in him that he loves us, that he cares about us, that he wants us to be close, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins so that they're wiped away and clean. And not by my own effort and not by my own works am I accepted by God, but by what God chose to do in my life. I repent. I pray a prayer where I say to God, I want to give my life to you completely. Jesus, I, don't, I, I want you as my Savior, but I also want you as my Lord. And therefore, I'm going to trust you to guide me in my life. That's what repenting means. It means you now say, I will live my life for you and not for me. And then being baptized is an outward sign that inwardly I've said yes to God. And, and it's a beautiful worship experience. By the way, you ready? That the Bible says you must choose. The Bible teaches you must choose it for you and know what you're doing. And by the way, you do it for forgiveness of sins. Now, let me say this. I know some of you here go, well, I was baptized as a baby. Well, first of all, you didn't choose it. And second of all, you didn't have any sin. You know, there, there was no sin there. You didn't do anything. Uh, the Bible talks about an age of accountability. But baptism is for those who know that they've sinned and know that Jesus died for them and they experience this in a beautiful way. Peter in Acts chapter 2 was talking to a group of people and they realized their need for God. So in verse 37 it says this. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? 
What shall we do to be saved? What shall we do to enter this relationship with God? How can we do this? And Peter answered and said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Did you catch that? The promises for you. It's promised even for people who are far off from that day that if we would believe in the Lord, repent, and be baptized, that God says, now you've prepared your way to meet him. By the way, it's interesting. Every time baptism is mentioned in the Bible, they never say, take a class. Did you say, they go, what should we do? He goes, get baptized right now. He noticed, and so they didn't go, wait till you're ready. The question is, do you love God? Do it. But, but, but it's based on believing and repenting. You see, there's a motivation in Isaiah 40. Be back in Isaiah 40 with me. And notice verse 6 begins to give a motivation for why we would want to do this. Verse 6. A voice says, call out. Then he answered, what shall I call out? All flesh is as grass, and its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, and when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass, and the grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. There are two motivations for why we should do this, why we should open up to God's love. The first is this. You and I are like grass that for a moment is green and flourishing and the next minute is gone. In Southern California, we know this. I don't know if you're like me. Do you love the springtime when all the hills are green and lush and flowers are on them and you go, man, this is a great place to live. And then one month later, they're all dead and wilted and brown. Isn't that true here? If you notice how quick the, it's beautiful, it rains, it's gorgeous, and then it's gone. Out here near Sycamore Creek where Pam and I live, man, the hills are golden brown. That's what I call them, golden brown. Daryl Talbert said, no, they're covered with weeds. But the bottom line is, is you know what? Is there's a certain season of the year that very quickly passes. And what is the saying? Your life very quickly passes. It comes and it goes. It comes and it goes. Uh, at the leadership summit, they kept telling us something that you'll agree with. The death rate right now is actually at 100%. Isn't that true? Did you know your death rate's at 100%? You're gonna die. You're gonna die. Now, maybe the rapture will come and you'll meet God that way. But the bottom line is, if God tarries, we're all gonna die. And that ought to motivate you to do something. To trust the one who will never die. To trust the one who will give you life so you will never die. To know that you matter more than just a quick moment. You, you don't just come and go and that's all there is to your life. You matter far more than that. And so you sh more than ever should open up to God. The second motivation is the word of God. While you and I are temporary, the word of God is eternal. It stands forever. And this life and the life to come, that word is there, that promise is there, that truth is there, and you and I need to hold on to that. So we need to prepare ourselves to meet God by opening up to Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. The third thing is we need to trust in the power of God to enact the promise. The third thing Isaiah 40 teaches us, we need to trust in God to enact the promise. Look at verse 9. Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up and do not fear and say to the cities of Judah, now here's the key phrase, here is our God. Now twice it says grab hold of good news. God wants your life to be filled with good news and not fear. And then it says, how does that happen? Because you know who can enact that. It's not you and not me, it's God. And it's here is our God. And then we begin to see who God is. 
That's what you're about to see. When you read Isaiah 40 and study this section, you're going to see who God is. And notice the first thing is God is what we call omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. And in verse 10, it says this, Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. So the first thing we see is God is all-powerful. He can enact this promise. We're going to see this in a moment again. But I want you to grab that what it says is that God comes with two things. He comes with a reward or a recompense. By the way, it's or. You either are going to have God reward you and bless you, or you're going to be judged by God. Love and mercy and grace or justice and judgment. You get to choose. He's given you the gift of free will. And right now you can choose which one you want. God's longing is that you would choose to let him love you and draw you close. The idea that he is a God who rewards, a God who blesses, a God who gives things to you and guides you in your life is there for you. Or on the other side, there's a recompense. And you might say, well, what does recompense mean? It means you're going to get your just due. You're going to get paid what you deserve. By the way, if you go, well, that's not a bad thing. Think about what you deserve. For every lie you've told, justice is deserved. For every lustful thought you've had, justice is deserved. For every selfie motive or action, justice is deserved. I don't know about you. I don't want justice. You know, I want mercy. And by the way, God wants you to have mercy, but you have to choose to receive it. And you might say, well, then where's the justice in that? When Jesus went to the cross, he paid the price for us. That's where justice was enacted. But God wants to, in a loving, caring way, free you from that. And so you need to grab a hold of that. Jeremiah warned about that in Jeremiah 51, 56, where he said, the destroyer is coming against her. And this is why Babylon would be judged. Against Babylon and her mighty men who will be captured. Their bows are going to be shattered for the law. Lord is a God of recompense. He shall fully repay. So when the Bible talks about recompense, we don't want that. And by the way, it says his reward is with him, meaning for all who are with him, his recompense is before him for anybody who won't come and be with him. So God says, I, I'm mighty, I'm powerful, and I can reward you when I want to. But notice he also comes as a shepherd, verse 11. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock in his arm. He will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will Gently lead the nursing use. God says, I come with might, but I also come with gentleness. And I want my might to enact promises in your life, and I want my gentleness to draw you close in affection. Back in the day this was written, a shepherd, and God says, I'm not only mighty, I'm a shepherd. A shepherd knew his sheep by name. A shepherd cared and cuddled his sheep. A, a shepherd protected his sheep. A protected pr shepherd provided for his sheep. And God wants to do all that for you. He wants to make your life an amazing one. Remember Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside the still waters. He takes you to green pastures. He restores your soul. That's what God wants for you. And by the way, we need to be experiencing that. Jesus calls out a very similar promise, the same promise in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, where it says, come to me. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Do you lack energy? Do you lack vitality? God says, don't live like that. Come to me. Come to me. Are you burdened? Is there all this fear and worry? God says, come to me, and I'll lift it off you. But then I'm going to put my yoke on you. And the idea of a yoke was something put on an animal to guide that animal and protect that animal and make that animal's life more effective. 
And by the way, easier than it would be without the yoke. And God says, I want to guide you. I want to protect you. And I want to make you effective in how you live. I want to give you something to live for. And so God says, come to that. Now, now again, this is about the power of God to enact it. And God says, this is what I want to do. I want to be a shepherd and I want to be caring. And I have the power to do it because I'm all powerful. And it goes back into that in verse 12. Look what it says about God. Here is our God who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens by span and calculated the dust of the earth by measure and weighed the mountains in the valley and the balance and the hills in the pair of scales. In other words, he says, I am all powerful. If you were to take all the water on the face of the earth, all the oceans, all the streams, all the rivers, God said they would barely fit in the hollow of my hand. That's how powerful I am. Then he says, but look at the universe. I can measure the whole universe in the span of my hand. The span is from the end of your thumb to the end of your little finger. And God says, I can literally take the whole universe, not just a galaxy, the whole universe and lay my hand over it and measure it in one span. Think about how big the universe is. The Milky Way galaxy, which we're a part of, is so big that if you could travel the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, it would take you 100,000 years at that speed to go from one end to the other. But we're not even the largest galaxy. We're just one of thousands and thousands and millions and millions of known galaxies. The nearest galaxy to us is the Andromeda galaxy, which divided uh, the Milky Way galaxy and the Andromeda. There's an incredible amount of space with nothing in it. And, and just to show you how big the universe is, just these two galaxies, if the Milky Way galaxy were the size of a quarter, the Andromeda galaxy proportionally would be all the way on the other end of Santana Park. Now think about how big that is. A quarter mile away. And God says, you know what? I am so huge and so powerful. I could take my hand and put it over all the known universe and all the, the actual real universe. God says, I could do that. So we need to understand, he is powerful enough to enact this in your life. Verse 13, he is what we call omniscient. He's all-knowing, and he knows everything to enact it in your life. Verse 13, who has directed the spirit of the Lord, or has been his counselor, or who has informed him? With whom did he consult? Who gave him understanding? Who taught him in the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and informed him of the way of understanding? The point is nobody. It's a rhetorical question. No one taught God. No one can tell God anything he doesn't know. There's nothing he doesn't understand. By the way, you've never done anything he didn't know you would do. God doesn't ever look at you and goes, ooh, I'm surprised at that. No, he, he's not surprised. God never says these words. Whoa, I didn't see that one coming. He never does. God knows everything. He's all-powerful and all-knowing. Therefore, you and I can trust in him that he will be able to bring this about. By the way, don't miss this. To God, the nations are but a drop in the bucket. Not only are people like a vapor of smoke or grass that comes and fades, nations are like a drop in the bucket. The United States is just a drop in the bucket to God. Verse 15, behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on, dust on a scale. Behold, he lifts up islands like fine dust. God says, do you realize the nations are nothing to me? Now, by the way, it, look at verse 17. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. Now, you may be shocked at this, but let me just be as clear as I can what the Bible says. God does not care about nations and governments, but he does care about people. He doesn't care. The United States is going to come and go. 
We act like sometimes we're all powerful. God in a moment could wipe out the United States, China, India, none of them. But God says, they really don't matter to me. What matters to me are the people. And see, that's where you might be saying, wait a minute, if God is so big, he could take his hand and literally cover the whole universe. If he's so big, he could hold all the oceans and all the water in the hollow of his hand. If he's so huge and so mighty and powerful and, and, and he's beyond time, then why would I think I matter to him? And here's what I want you to grab. Even though he's all powerful and even though he's all knowing, don't miss this, he's all loving. He matter, you matter to him because he loves you. You matter to him because he loves you. Matter of fact, skip down to verse 27 and look what it says. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes his notice? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. It's an amazing, beyond understanding thing for us that God is all understanding, that God cares about you and loves you. Psalm 139 tells you this. You've never taken a step that God did not know you would take. You've never said a word that God did not know you would say. You've never thought a thought that God did not know you would think. You've never sat into a place that God did not know you'd sit. You know why? God says he loves you. Psalm 40 says you've never shed a tear he didn't know you would shed. He cares about you that much. And this God who is that big and that powerful and that knowledgeable says, I want to take all that power and all that knowledge and enact it in your life so that you will have a promise, a promise that's amazing. And look what it is in verse 29. He gives strength to the weary and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youth grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. By the way, no matter how, what shape your body's in, your spirit will be so alive when you trust God, you'll be revived. By the way, no matter what stress is in your life, God will dissipate it. You'll wake up in the morning with a reason to live. And if you have a challenge to face, you'll become more than a conqueror. God wants all this for you. He wants you to rise up and soar above all. He wants it for you. He can give it to you. He's proclaimed it, that I want you to have it. He says, prepare for it by opening up to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then he says, understand, I have the power to do this. And you can have it if, if, did you catch what it says in verse 31? You wait on the Lord. Now, what does it mean to wait on the Lord? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean to do nothing. It doesn't mean to do nothing. The Hebrew word there has two meanings, and they're both, both apply to this. The first meaning is to literally look expectantly. To look expectantly. If a girl has a date with a guy that she cares about, and he says, I'm going to pick you up at 6 o'clock, she is not going to do nothing. She's going to be waiting expectantly, Right? The other night I was talking to a girl here at Generate and she had invited a guy to come and, and so she was just looking at those doors waiting and waiting. So I actually stood in her way and she's like, trying to, you know, she had to see. She couldn't wait for him to come through the door. That's what God says. I want you to look expectantly to me and then I'm going to give you this promise. You're not ready for the next meaning? It means to serve. Immediately serve. You might go, where do you get that? Well, actually we use that term in the English. When you go to a restaurant and you get a table, you have a waiter or a waitress come and serve you or wait on you, don't you? Now, by the way, that shouldn't mean they do nothing. Does everybody agree it means they shouldn't do nothing? All you servers here, it doesn't mean you do nothing. You don't go, I'm a waiter, so I'll just wait. 
They can wait, I'll wait. No, that drives us nuts. No, a great waiter or waitress is there immediately and they welcome you and they, they ask what they can get you to drink and they bring the correct drinks and give it to you. And when you say, oh, you know what? I, I, I would like a water and a Diet Coke. They don't look and go, yeah, you need it. You know, they, they, you know, they, they come and bring the right one and they don't refill a Diet Coke with Coke. I mean, why? Because they're, they're meeting your every move. They want to make sure you get what you want. And by the way, when you order your meal, th- their job is to make sure that what's put on there by the chef is what you wanted. And a really good waiter or waitress, what do they do? They don't even ask who had the ribs. They give them to the right person because they're meeting the needs of the people they're waiting on. And, and then they bring the, mil- the bill right when you want it. Not too soon, not too late. Why? Because they're attentive to what's happening at your table. And people like that get big tips. Am I right? Now, here's the thing. That's what you and I need to do for God. We're going to study in this story, and you're going to see this. It's called I.O., immediate obedience. You're going to see throughout Scripture that people who practice I.O., immediate obedience, the principle of that, are the ones who get blessed because they're waiting on the Lord. And whenever God says do something, they do it, and so the blessing comes. That's what you need to understand. That's what I need to grasp. That's what you and I need to practice. And then the blessing comes our way. Rich Viedos is an incredible, incredible pastor in Queens, New York. Uh, you're going to be meeting Rich. I'm, Pam and I are going to bring him out. This guy is on fire. He's a young guy. He's passionate. He can preach. I mean, what do you think is going to happen when we have a Puerto Rican from Brooklyn come and preach to you? Don't you think that's going to be good? And I mean, this guy's on fire. And Rich was telling me something. Rich was saying that, that up until he was 19, his grandfather and his grandmother were the only Christians in their family. And it, and it broke his grandfather's heart because his grandfather was an I.O. person. He was immediately obedient to God. And he loved the Lord and he loved his family and he wanted them to come to know the Lord. And he said he used to marvel at his grandfather. Man, if God said to do something, he just did it. One night, his grandfather, was an, who was an elder at a church in Brooklyn, um, was serving, and they had a prayer service, and it ran kind of late, and when it got over, everyone's leaving, and he had agreed to lock up, and he was tired and couldn't wait to get home, and, and, and then just as he's about to lock up, in walks a man who is so drunk he can barely walk, and he looked at him, and he thought, you know what? I am so tired. I just want to go home, and, and, and then God spoke and said, no, you stay and minister to this man, and, and being an I.O. person, he said, all right, Lord, then I'll do it. And he walked up to this very drunk man and said, can I help you? And the guy goes, I don't want, can I, can you buy my congas? And he just wanted to sell his congas to get more alcohol. And his grandfather said, no, I'm not going to buy your congas. But if you sit down, I want to talk to you about something. And he sat him down and this guy's so drunk and he thought, Lord, he's not going to understand a word I say. But God had told him to do this. So he began to share the gospel. And all of a sudden, this drunk guy starts shaking and his eyes get wide. And Rich's grandfather said, what's wrong? And he goes, I'm sober. And he said, what? He goes, I haven't been sober in 10 years. I'm sober. I mean, I'm sober. And, and, and now he can understand. It's a miracle. And so he begins to share the Lord with them. And as he does, this guy starts crying. And he wants it so badly. And he wants to be free. And he wants the new life. And he's actually homeless at this moment. And he's ruined everything. And he says, but you can have it all back if you just begin to trust God. God's a redeemer. And he's crying. He said, I want it. I want it. He gives his life to the Lord. 
And then what happens is he says, all right, what do I do now? And Rich's grandfather says, you can't go back to the old life. I'm not sure where to put you. Let's see if Teen Challenge can take you. By the way, Teen Challenge is a long, long waiting list. But they said, let's take a shot. So late at night, they went down to Teen Challenge and they walked in. He said, I know you have a waiting list, but this man just gave his life to Christ. He wants to be free from alcohol. And the guy looked at him and said, you're not going to believe this. Someone just quit. We have an opening. We'll take him. It was a miracle. So the guy goes into the program. He never takes a drink since. He's totally free. And during a two and a half year process, he becomes very aware that God is calling him into the ministry. So he, he dedicates himself to being a pastor and goes to Bible college. Rich was telling you, yeah, isn't that awesome? Yeah. Rich was telling me that uh, it was a few years later that he, 19 years old, walked into his apartment that his family lived in. His dad's sitting there in his pajamas. And he said, where's mom? And where's my brothers and sisters? His dad said, ah, your grandfather talked him into going to church tonight. He thought, that's a weird night to go to church. He didn't want to be with his dad. He didn't want to have to sit there alone. And he thought, man, I think I just need some peace. Maybe I'll get some peace at church. I'll just go and sit in the peace and quiet. He didn't know that it was a Pentecostal worship service. It wasn't going to be peace and quiet. When he got there, man, it was packed and it was alive and they were worshiping with passion and he got caught up in it. Then he sat down to hear the pastor speak, but when he sat down, he heard a sound behind him and he turned around. It was his dad in his pajamas sitting there. He's like so embarrassed. Oh my gosh, my, friend, my dad's in his pajamas. And he's like, I can't believe it. And so, so he, he ended up listening. Well, he said something happened. When that pastor started to preach, it's like, wow, the lights went on. He said, all of a sudden, I forgot everything. I was so caught up in what he was saying. And as the pastor gave the invitation, he goes, I was felt alive, but I felt moved by God. He said, I started crying. And I was crying so hard, I could barely see. But I heard him say, come forward, come forward. And I wanted Jesus so bad, I got up from my seat, and I walked out, and I came forward. And he said, and I looked over, and there's my mom, and there's my brothers, and my sisters, and my cousin. And then I felt a hand behind me, and I turned around, and it's my dad. He's up there in his pajamas crying. Yeah, isn't that cool? He said, that night, that night, my mom and dad and 15 other of my relatives gave their lives to Jesus Christ. And he said, my family's Christian. And you probably already know, you probably already figured out, the pastor preaching that night was the man his grandfather led to the Lord. And he said, you know why? Because my grandfather was immediately obedient to God. And so, you know what? That night, the tiredness left him as he led this man to Christ. And then a few years later, God would answer his greatest prayer because he was obedient. And my grandfather, he said, he is soaring today because our family's Christian. I want you to know God has that for you. You need to understand there's a proclamation for you to receive this, and he wants it for you. He wants desperately to have you experience his love and grace and mercy. He longs to give it to you. And today, today, if you've never given your life to Christ, you can do this. And by the way, I want to say this. Right now, we're entering the most important time in our service. I'm going to ask that no one leave, no one slip out till the invitation's over. We do not want to distract from what God has for someone else. But I want you to know right now, if you're here and have never given your life to Christ, this is for you. I'm hoping in a moment when I lead a prayer, you'll open up and you'll let God's love come into you. And you'll allow Jesus and the Holy Spirit to prepare you for the great blessings that God has for you. How do you do that? You pray, you tell the Lord you want it, you repent by saying, I want to give my life to you. And right now, I'm hoping some of you do. I'm really hoping some of you do. 
There are some of you here today, you're hurting and in pain and tired and weary. I'm hoping that you do a dedication time with him and you just pray and tell him, yes, I want to give myself to you. And you allow that to happen. There are some of you right now that you need to recommit your lives to Christ because you're a Christian, but you're not living a life that soars above. And it really is for you. And I don't know what's kept you back. I don't know if it's, if it's apathy or, or, or maybe you've done some things you shouldn't have done or, or you've been wounded by somebody else or it's just life's gotten to you. But I want you to know God loves you and wants this for you and he longs to give it to you. So what do you need to do? You need to pray and tell him. Some of you, you just need to decide to get baptized or some of you, you know something else God's called you to do and you just need to do it. Whatever God's word says, you just need to do. And so in this moment, I want to ask for God to touch and move people. And my prayer is some of you are going to pray and give your life to Christ. And some are going to do what Rich and his family did. In a moment, we're going to ask you to come forward and to head in this room where we can give you some things. But as you walk, you're going to sense God. So I'm praying and hoping and been asking God that he would stir in some of you. And today would be your day. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would really stir in this room. God, I ask that there would be some who would give their lives to you right now. I really pray they're going to. I know you long to show them your love. You long to give them compassion. You long, Lord, to call them to a life that's incredible. And I pray they're not going to say no. I pray today they're going to say yes. Father, I want to pray for anybody here today who needs to recommit to you. I had a time in my life I needed to, and God, I'm so glad I did. I pray that they today would know it does make a difference. You make a difference. If they would just open up to you again and say that they want to have that first love and they want to have the fire begin to burn again inside, God, I pray you'd stir. And Lord, I pray for anybody here today who needs, needs healing. They need the burden lifted. They need joy restored. So God, I pray right now you're going to give it to them because they're going to open up to you. I want us to keep praying right now, but I'm going to lead that prayer. And right now, if you want to say yes to God or you want to rededicate your life to him, recommit. Or if you want to have the, God just lift the burden off you, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. So right now, let's just whisper these words. And I'm hoping many of you do. Let's just pray this prayer. Say these words. Say, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross so that I would be forgiven, so that I would be cleansed, so that I would be brand new, and so I'd be yours. And I want this, and I want you. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me be who you created me to be and help me live. Help me live the life you want me to live. Because I'm yours. And I'm yours completely. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer today, praise God.